just one second as usual I uh, technical challenges continue to plague me all right well good morning everyone hope everyone's doing all right it's a uh, really gloomy day here in um, in beautiful st. Louis Missouri lots of rain I guess we had a lot of, a lot of rain last night or at least this morning. All right, so let's go ahead and kick this off. I thought I'd jump on here just a couple minutes early in case uh, in case some folks might have a couple of questions before we get started. Maybe you've watched a uh, maybe you watched a video previous or a previous video, I should say, and maybe you have some questions about something. So feel free. I see we've. Only got one one uh, one participant on right now, or someone else just jumped on. So, all right, yeah. I good morning. I you know I uh, 
It's weird. There used to be that they have this tool, and I, again, I use Restream to uh, to stream out to all the different platforms. Um, but they used to have a way for me to send you a link, or to put a link in the uh, in the uh, comments section, and you clicked on that. You know, uh, you know, if you're attending this, you click on that link, and it allows me to see who that actually is. I just don't know where to find that link any longer. So we're gonna have to. Uh, you know, if I, I look at it this way, if you want me to know your name, you'll you'll throw it out there. So, uh, but yeah, that's that's mostly the Facebook users because that's a read only uh, type of platform. It just happens to come through on Restream. All right, so uh, if you guys didn't catch us on uh, Friday, I had myself and my business partner on. Uh, we talked about uh, we talked about finding cash buyers. And um, I'm not going to I'm not going to get too far into or, or too deep into the, the woods on that one. I just kind of want to recap that for a quick second um, and just really just tell you the importance of having a, a handful of cash buyers at your disposal. You know, really, we don't we don't particularly use a ton of cash buyers. Um, I have this. I went out and built this massive, massive list. Uh, it was a big list. Took me about a year and a half to build it of constant, uh, you know, constant marketing for cash buyers when it turned out i really only needed just a, just a few you know just a handful um, primarily what we do is you know and i'm talking about talking about really talking about wholesaling here and i know i i give uh, i rib i rib wholesalers quite a bit but um the truth of the matter is they're definitely needed uh, they definitely serve a a purpose and i'm, I'm super super grateful for for all the wholesalers that uh, certainly have brought me deals, but um, really, cash buyers are uh, are really kind of easy to find. To be honest with you, it's not that tough to do. Uh, it's just uh, it's just you know are those are those cash buyers quality cash buyers? So what we normally do though, since we can get you know we uh, we have the ability to get creative, and so uh, generally speaking. Um, our buyers come from the MLS. And if you haven't watched that video, go back, jump into the YouTube channel. Don't leave this. Don't leave this channel or don't leave this broadcast right now. But uh, you get a chance. Go back and look at the video that we did. It's a live. Uh, we did that on uh, last Friday. And uh, it's all about it's all about finding cash buyers, really. Today, I want to talk a little bit about um, minimizing risk on on buying and selling. So this whole business really revolves around minimizing risk. And um, so we're going to jump into that here in just a second. Before we actually do that, though, um, if you are watching this on YouTube, I am going to ask if you if can you just go down below the video, go ahead and uh, and click on the subscribe. We'd really appreciate it. Help us grow the channel. And then also while you're there, it's just a uh, Couple centimeters away. Go ahead and uh, and click on the notify bell, or click on the bell. That's what it is. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm on so many different platforms here that sometimes I get it confused. But yeah, click on the bell, and that way uh, every every time we uh, you know you get the deal. Every time we go live, you're going to be notified. So. All right, and then lastly, if you haven't checked us out, head on over to. Uh, Head on over to sub2empire.com. Um, 
as many of you may or may not know, we we uh, we run the Creative uh, Creative Finance Academy over there, and uh, it's a, a just an excellent way to uh, to throw you or to get you into uh, into the creative mindset and into creative financing. All right. So that being said, and again, we appreciate everyone. Uh, we appreciate everyone joining us here. We have this every single Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Uh, set your, uh, you know, create a calendar in, uh, entry, uh, whatever you got to do. Um, if you just go ahead and subscribe on the YouTube channel, well, then you're, you're going to be notified anyway. So, all right, let's jump into this thing this morning. First, let me pull this up. I'm going to share my screen with you guys here. I've kind of done a little bit of this before, but I'm talking about this particular topic. We've covered this before, but I think it's um, I think it's really important to understand to understand this. And also, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to share this with you folks. I'm going to share this this mind map in the chat. So let me go ahead and. says I can't post to some channels. Let's do this chat overlay. Here we go. All right, guys, I just posted a link there. That's to a uh, to the mind map that we're going to be going over here. If you guys want to follow there, if you just want to watch on the screen, uh, it's your pick. Take your pick. Um, but really, <clears throat> title of, the, of this particular mind map is How to Minimize Risk When Buying. And then also when selling. And so we have this um, we have this philosophy in the group uh, with our coaching students as well that and it, and it's really just standard kind of run of the mill um, still a, a standard kind of run of the mill philosophy on reducing your risk. All right. So and and particularly when you're buying. When you're buying, that's when you are most exposed. Everyone's heard the term, you know, you got to buy right. But that doesn't just include paying, you know, paying a good price. That also includes on how you actually take title. So guys, I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be bouncing back and forth on these screens. So if you have questions, uh, go ahead and post them in the chat. I'll get to them. I just I just have to kind of look at my screen while I'm uh, while I'm talking here. Oh wait a minute. You know what? There we go. All right. So you should be able to see that uh, that mind map now. So let's walk through this thing. Again, the whole idea here is to, you know, when you when they when you hear the term buy right, a lot of people automatically think you got to get it at the lowest price that you possibly can. Uh, that's the beauty of creative financing. We don't necessarily we don't necessarily have to subscribe to that, uh, you know, to that mantra, to that uh, to what they're telling us about about pricing. Would it be nice to have? You know, ideally, you'd love to get into a property with, you know, tons of equity into it. And, uh, and you know, sometimes it's just not possible. That doesn't mean that you can't make you can't make a good living. You can't make good money on uh, on real estate. You know, equity is um, having equity in a property 
might be important to a lot of people, but we, we really, really focus and concentrate on, uh, on cash flow. There's an old saying, you've probably heard it before, you can't eat equity. Equity does not pay your bills. So, uh, so we don't necessarily concern ourselves too much with it. In fact, in a lot of our marketing, we don't, you know, a lot of folks will have, uh, they'll have an equity, minimum equity requirement. Uh, we don't really have that. We just kind of, we, we float our marketing out there. And as our leads come in, as our leads come in the door, you know, we're able to uh, to evaluate those deals and we'll figure out the best exit strategy, the most profitable exit strategy uh, at that point. So uh, we're not stuck in this box. We're not we're not trapped in this one particular uh, exit strategy. <clears throat> and, um, you know, it works out for us. It works out really, really well because, uh, you know, obviously there's tons of tons of leads out there that a lot of people would pass on just because they don't have any equity in them. But again, buying right does not necessarily, in our world, it does not necessarily mean you have a ton of equity in the deal. When we talk about buying right, we're talking about how we actually have title conveyed to us. How are we buying the property in a, in a legal sense, right? So anytime I mention this, anytime I say the word legal, I have to have my disclosure that you know, I am not an attorney. I'm not a CPA. I'm not really a registered anything. I'm just an investor. So as long as we understand that, we're good to go. All right. So let's jump into this thing. Uh, I will touch on the dispo side here um, and make sure that we're able to follow along. Hey, Miguel. Good morning. How are you? All right. So buying right. Again, buying right doesn't necessarily mean you have to have uh, tons of equity in it. Let's talk about conveyance. So if you look on the screen and let me just blow this up just a touch. So we are, so people aren't squinting to see this. Let me make sure it looks good on the, yeah, I think, can everybody see that? If you can, if you can see that, okay, give me a thumbs up or, or just a, a quick, uh, quick yes in the comments would be great. All right. So on the acquisition side, we have uh, maybe we've already determined that, uh, you know, that the deal would, uh, you know, it, could, it, it, it makes sense to buy the deal because it's going to cash flow for us. Let's talk about conveyance. In order, when we talk about creative financing, um, that's mainly where this owner finance section right here in this mind map is going to is going to come into uh, come into play but there are other other things that we can do um and even creatively we can do like with conventional financing like we can do uh, you know if, if we're getting conventional financing we can combine certain aspects of creative financing in with conditional or with uh, conventional as well uh, so let's just talk about this uh, this first piece this owner finance piece so when we when we talk about owner finance, uh, we're talking about we're talking about any situation where the seller is providing some sort of financing. Okay. So, uh, and by the way, I'm going to backtrack just for a quick second. If you see, so from top to bottom, we have owner finance, we have conventional, and we have lease option. 
All right, these are our order. This is an order of preference. Um, I, I want to. I don't. Maybe preference isn't the nice. Isn't isn't the best word. When we go down this list, we're talking about owner finance, conventional financing, and lease option. This is not just order of preference. This would be more uh, along the lines of risk management. So, you know, obviously, if we get something owner financed, that doesn't require us to qualify for uh, for that financing. That is uh, that is a little less risky for us because. Uh, in many cases, we can take, you know, we can either take a property subject to, we can take, uh, we can get, uh, you know, seller financing on, uh, you know, I've got a couple buildings that are seller financed and, um, you know, I didn't qualify for those at all. Uh, and so consequently, those don't show up on my credit report. And so for me, that is a little less risky. It doesn't mean I can't be, you know, if I have something that's seller financed or owner financed to me doesn't mean that I can't be foreclosed on and that that can't be, that's not going to be public record if something were to happen, you know, God forbid, I, you know, you know, whatever I, you know, I, 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 I don't know, for some reason I can't make that payment. It doesn't mean that, uh, that, that won't show up eventually in public record or something like that, but it just, it's less legal exposure. It's, it's harder for the public to find you for people in the, you know, for, Maybe you got a lawsuit that somebody's um, has levied against you, and uh, you know it's just going to be a little bit of a legal hurdle to try and to try and discover who. Uh, uh, and and again, depending up depending upon how you have that set up, how you have your your business entity structured is going to is going to uh, that's going to that's going to determine on on uh, you know how easy it is for for folks to find you, but. I'm getting a little into the weeds. Let's take it. Take a look at the owner finance side. So, just so you understand, as we go down the list here, we, we're going from least risky, which would be owner finance, to most risky. That's the way we look at this. Also, once we get into these little subcategories, we're going. We're going to go from least risky down to most risky. Okay. Uh, actually, straight owner finance. It's, it's a little bit different uh, category, but let's talk about subject two. All of these strategies, by the way, subject to mortgage wrap, contract for deed, and, and just straight owner financing. These are all owner financing uh, strategies. Like these are all um, methods of owner financing. So a lot of times you'll hear people say, you know, maybe you can get seller financing or subject to. Well, Subject two is seller financing. It's a form of seller financing. So I just wanted to be clear on that. But when we buy subject two, what do we mean? We we get in a subject two transaction, we are actually going to take title. We're getting legal title. But we are not on the loan. We are, Our names, our entities, our companies are not listed as owners on the loan. All right. So we are not personally guaranteeing them. Our sellers are still are personally guaranteeing those. So our sellers' names stay on the loan. So let's just think about that for a quick second. If we own the property legally through uh, through through a, a deed conveyance, somebody conveys our, that property to us uh, through a recorded deed. Well, we own that property, but the seller 
or or the the borrower, I should say, maybe not the seller, but the borrower, the borrower's name stays in place. So obviously, that's for us. That's an ideal situation, right? I mean, that's like uh, it, it really doesn't get any better than that. We love, love, love subject to. We love it, um, and so. <clears throat> In the in, as far as risk goes, this is going to be our least risky way to have property conveyed to us. All right, and that really just means getting the deed, and the seller's loan is going to stay in place, and we just make the payments on that loan. All right. Next on the list, oh, I'm just going to leave that expanded. Next on our list is a mortgage wrap. Let me just check the. Uh, there we go. Oh, there's Bill. All right. Hey, Bill. Good morning. <laughs> All right. Okay. So the next on our list is our mortgage wrap. Why do we like mortgage wraps? Well, first let's explain what it is. On a mortgage wrap, the original or the underlying loan is going to stay in place. All right. So if you have a seller who has a loan on a property, that loan is not going to get paid off. It's kind of like subject to, it's just a little bit, uh, it's a, it gets a little more uh, technical when we start talking about mortgage wraps. But we love mortgage wraps because we get to write a brand new loan that is going to wrap the original underlying loan. Uh, we also get, this also means we get legal title. There's going to be a recorded mortgage or deed of trust. And you're going to get a note. This is like a brand new. You're creating a note. Okay, you are, uh, you are creating a note and a and a mortgage that is going to wrap the original underlying mortgage. But that means that we get legal title. So we we don't mind taking on a mortgage wrap. It does kind of complicate the. Um, uh, a, it's just a lot of, a lot going on. It kind of complicates maybe the insurance side of it, which is really not that big of a deal, but. For some people, they, they some folks are just not going to understand that. Um, what we do then is we, we're going to make payments to our seller, right? We're going to make direct payments to our seller. But what we like to do to further reduce our risk is we like to make interest payments to our seller and also make a separate payment to the seller's lender directly. Why do we do that? That's because we want to make sure, especially if we're in a situation, if we're in a situation, say maybe the seller was behind on their payments. Well, there's a reason that seller's behind on their payments. And so we want to reduce our risk by, by not giving them that full amount or not paying them, not, not paying them the, um, the entire amount on that mortgage. It is, it is to our benefit to go ahead and pay them what they're what they're due on the you know, as far as their interest uh, their interest is concerned um, their principal and interest but we like to pay our sellers lenders directly so it's almost like it's a subject to deal where we're paying us we're paying the lender directly but instead this is a wrap and depending upon the terms that that are written into your into your note um, that is going to determine how much your seller is going to be making on this mortgage wrap, right? So I hope that's clear. If anybody's unclear about that, please let me know. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll happily address that. Uh, but like I said, 
Now maybe you can see why we just prefer to take something subject to whenever we possibly can, because mortgage wraps um, for your average investor, they are probably a little, uh, they're a little advanced. Um, again, it's not that big of a deal. It's just, uh, if you've never, if you've never been a, uh, uh, exposed to it before, it might be a little bit of a problem. And of course we get a deed. So that's the most important part. So in subject two, we get the deed in a mortgage wrap. We get, we get a deed as well. <clears throat> so, so two really great ways of having title conveyed to you or your, you know, or whatever entity you're, you've chosen two great ways because you get legal title. All right. Subject to preferred over a mortgage wrap, just because we have the, uh, we have the benefits of owning without the risk of, of a personal guarantee on a loan In a mortgage wrap, you have a, you, this is a personal guarantee. Um, it's, it's going to be, you know, that's how your, how your notes going to be structured. You're going to personally guarantee this loan. Uh, when I say personally guarantee, I mean, that's either going to be you as the individual. I would only recommend you do that if you're actually going to live in the property um, or it's going to be an entity, say an LLC or a trust. Um, though that entity or that trust. And if it's you taking personal, um, uh, taking that, that personal responsibility, it would be you. All right. Clear as mud. Everybody good. All right. Okay, so then let's jump down to one of the one of the more risky ways of taking title. And that is on contract for deed. There's a uh, kind of a I don't know, there's this thing going around on uh, in some of the social social media platforms and on YouTube. You'll see some videos about contract for deed. And most people when they hear contract for deed, by the way, the, Bond for deed, agreement for deed, um, contract for sale. That's a, that's a recent one I heard. These are, these basically all mean the same thing. What it means is, is you're only getting equitable title, but a lot of folks, when they hear contract for deed, they think that that is a way that they think that that's only a way to sell a property, which they're not wrong about that. It is a great way to disposition a property. If you're a buy and hold investor. Uh, like this is this is exactly what we do. We like to convey equitable title via contract for deed. But you can also buy properties on contract for deed. And a lot of people, I think they they dismiss that because they're because a contract for deed only conveys equitable title. It does not convey legal title. And so there's a couple of reasons um, on the buy side, on the purchase side. If I'm going to go out and purchase property. There are a couple reasons why you might consider buying on contract for deed. And I'll give you a perfect example of, of why this might benefit you to, to buy on contract for deed. Again, it's, it's more risky, definitely more risky because you're not getting legal title. Uh, but in some cases, it might make sense for you. And the example that I have for you is I'm looking at a at a very large package of properties. We're talking about, you know, three or four different entities um, uh, that were that were that own 
multiple, multiple doors, lots of doors, right? Well, our seller in that situation, obviously, if we can't perform per our agreement, our seller could lose everything. Our seller could really be uh, in, in deep trouble if something were to happen to us, um, you know, where, you know, who knows, whatever. I, I can't really think of anything right now, but if something were to happen where we could not perform and and make those payments and and make the payments to the seller, make the payments to the lender, it's a huge risk for, for your seller. And so sometimes what we do, and this is what I did uh, in this situation, I, I made an offer in my offer. The conveyance was not legal title. It was contract for deed. So it would, the conveyance would have been equitable title to me. Now, a lot of people would think I'm absolutely nuts for doing that. Um, but we did place in that offer. We did, we did place some, um, some provisions for, uh, basically we had a, it's sort of like a probationary period. So I, I, the offer that I made was, Hey, we'll, we'll put this prop, we'll buy this property on contract for deed. We'll get equitable title. All right. And so for the next two years, I will make payments to you based upon the terms of that contract for deed. And then in two years, if I've made every single payment on time and, um, you know, there's no problems. Everything, everything has gone smoothly. I would like for you to convey legal title to me as well. So we will convert this contract for deed into a, uh, a, it'll, well, it'll eventually, it'll just be a seller finance deal. There are underlying mortgages. So we will likely do a mortgage wrap. Everybody good on that? want to make sure everybody understands what we're talking about here and what we just did. So I have made an offer and in that offer, I have agreed to buy this property on contract for these multiple properties. This is a large package. I've, I've agreed to buy that package of properties on contract for deed with the, uh, with the understanding and, and the, you know, a written agreement that if I make payments on that, month after month without missing a beat in two years, we will convert that into a mortgage wrap where then I'll be conveyed this entire package uh, via legal, a legal means, which is, which would be a recorded mortgage. In our case, it would be a, a, a deed of trust and a note. All right. So those are the top three ways in order that we like, that we would, that we would like to, um, to purchase our properties. Again, this is minimal risk, sub two, a little more risk on, on the mortgage wrap, just because we have uh, the risk on a mortgage wrap where this comes in is, is really, you know, if you're, like I said, if your seller is, was in any kind of um, financial distress or, or, or any kind of financial problems prior to this sale, you might want to think about, uh, separating out the payments, one payment to your seller for their principal and interest, and then you're paying the mortgage directly, right? But you are getting legal title here. And then <clears throat> lastly is, a, is contract for deed. So I do want to talk about uh, free and clear properties. 
this this one's kind of an outlier because it's this really should be um, this really should be probably stacked below mortgage wrap, but I kind of threw it in here because we do run across these um, quite often, really, and it's this is not uh, uh, on straight on, on free and clear properties. I would uh, yeah, you know what? I probably just need to go ahead and throw this right up here. So. I don't know. In fact, maybe that was a mistake. Maybe the uh, maybe the software pushed it down there, but who knows? But on straight uh, straight, when you have a free and clear property, the whole world opens up to you. There's all kinds of uh, you know all kinds of good stuff that you can do on a free and clear property. It's basically you're you're starting with a clean slate, and so um, what we end up doing is that uh, you know we make our offer. We 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 want to get legal title in this situation. We definitely need legal title. Um, you can buy it on contract for deed. That's why this is kind of like an, an outlier. You can you can kind of employ both a um, both just a straight seller finance where you're getting a a note and a deed of trust or a mortgage. Uh, you know, it has its own. Um, it is being conveyed to you via legal title. You can also buy free and clear properties on contract for deed. That's why this is kind of these, these two are kind of uh, I'm pretty sure that's why I, I put this one down below contract for deed, because you can you can really employ a lot of uh, a lot of great strategies for acquisition on this. I mean, really, it's, it's an ideal situation when you have a free and clear property. There's just so much possible. Um, so that's the owner finance side. Uh, and like I said, with straight owner finance, you can do, you can go, you can get legal title through a mortgage or deed of trust and a note, or you can also buy free and clear properties on contract for deed. All right. Anybody have any questions? All right. Okay. So that's the owner finance side. When we're talking about, when we're talking about mitigating risk, um, and, and then we're also we're, we're breaking that down into owner finance. Uh, owner finance is is going to be the least risky way for you, no matter how you slice it. It's it's just uh, it's just a better uh, a better way to buy. Then we get into conventional, and <clears throat> what I mean by conventional, I don't mean I don't mean just say bank financing. Conventional lending is accomplished or achieved through private money, through institutional money, meaning banks and, and um, uh, you, know, you know, institutional lending and hard money. And I call these conventional because it's just your run of the mill type of loan, whether it's hard money or private money, doesn't really matter. The terms, the terms are definitely going to be uh, going to be different, but it is kind of conventional lending where you have a you know, you have a, a uh, you know, you're going to have a note, you're going to have a, a, uh, a recorded mortgage, but the terms of your note are going to be very, very uh, conventional, whether that's, and they're each going to have their own category. Obviously we're going to pay more for hard money, right? But it's still in, in a, in a sense of, in, in, in this world and in the sense of lending, it's still very conventional for us to go out and get a hard money loan because it has set terms. 
you know, we don't get to play around with this too much. We might be able to negotiate a better interest rate or something like that, but we don't get to play around with this very much at all. And so uh, on the acquisition side, you can have a, a, a private lender that would be considered a conventional, a conventional loan. Uh, we prefer private money anytime we can get it. It's, it's almost always a, uh, it's almost always cheaper for one. Uh, but the terms are when you're talking about private lenders, the terms is is really where the power of private private money comes in because uh, you can get very very creative with private lending. Uh, for example, well, I'll just give you one one example. It might be a little bit uh, might be a little bit advanced, but um, you've never heard the term wa uh, walking the walking the mortgage. Uh, it is basically uh, it's cross collateralizing property, you know, a, a property. So, so basically, what you're doing is, you know, you can build into your terms that, you know, you want to have a a um, you want to be able to cross collateralize different properties. So you can use the the terms in your uh, in your note to say, hey, I would like to walk this mortgage over to. Um, uh, walk this mortgage over to another property. Uh, basically, it's 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 known as substitution of collateral. I, I didn't really want to say that because that's it's a it, it can be kind of confusing. But but you are substituting the collateral in a note with another piece of property. So so let's say that you found this piece of property. Um, you, you own one. You you own a property. You have a private loan on it. But then you go out and you found this other property that you'd really like. Well, maybe you bring in, um, maybe you want to uh, uh, take a portion, take all or a portion of the collateral in the loan that you have with your private lender, but you want to apply it to another property. So I think it's probably substitution of collateral is probably one of the more important um, provisions that you need to have in, in uh, if you're dealing with private lenders, have those in your in your terms. Um, but getting back to uh, getting back to the private lender, um, the benefits here. I mean, obviously, it's super super flexible. In most cases, you can, um, you know, I would look at it this way: if it's if we have a ton of of folks out there that are calling themselves private lenders, but they're really not private lenders. They're it's for the most part, it's either hard money or some sort of really really rigid. Uh, rigid restrictions on their uh, on their lending practices. Um, true private money is is acquired through folks like folks that you know through networking. Uh, maybe maybe people that aren't necessarily even in the real estate business, but they you know they they uh, they're, they're money motivated, right? So so you can get super super flexible with with private money, and that's why we that's why we love it. So I am not opposed, obviously. To conventional financing through a public or through a uh, excuse me a private lender, uh, you can get super flexible with it. Then we jump down to institutional lending, which uh, quite honestly I, I I only put it on here for your benefit. I don't use institutional lending on on almost anything. Um, now I have had some properties where uh, you know I've used like these larger uh, syndicated comp you know syndicated companies like uh, like. Kiabi and and all those folks, um, that would be 
uh, that would fall under the, the, uh, the category of institutional lending. That is not a private lender, by the way. The Kiabis of the world, the OCDs, that's not private lending. I don't care what anybody tells you. It's not. Okay, they're very, very rigid, very strict. These are the terms. There's no negotiating and uh, or very little negotiating. Um, but these would include a also include a portfolio lender. Now, I love portfolio lenders because portfolio lenders, obviously, they, they lend on the deal. They lend on the portfolio. And so what that means is, yes, they are going to underwrite you. Yes, they're going to be super, super rigid. But uh, kind of generically speaking, they don't have the, the request. They, they, they do not sell their notes. So when you take out a loan with a portfolio lender, they are not going to sell that note on the secondary market. They're actually going to carry. It's their money. Okay. They're going to carry. Uh, they're going to carry your loan and not sell off, not sell that loan off to somebody else. And they're really, really great because uh, the, the real benefit to portfolio lenders is that they, um, now while you you might, you probably will personally guarantee that loan, but also the, the loans can be put in your LLC's name, into trust names. Um, and so they're really great to deal with. They're super, super, uh, besides just the lending side, they're super uh, knowledgeable about um, about the, the deal, you know, so if you've got a bad deal and they won't lend on it, they'll tell you exactly, I mean, that should tell you exactly uh, everything you need to know about any particular deal. And then, of course, we have bank uh, bankers or mortgage bankers. Uh, I, I shy away from these folks, but, you know, some of you may not. And, you know, nevertheless, they are available and, and it is conventional financing. They're going to be, these folks are going to be extremely rigid. They're going to be, uh, you know, there, there, there's no, there's no negotiations almost, almost never. Uh, it's just, they have a, they have a product and that's what you buy. Uh, I shy away from those, not to say that, you know, some, at some point in the future, we, we use those, but are we use a, a, a banker, you know, a, a bank or a mortgage banker, uh, but we shy away from those. So that's it on institutional lending. Uh, those two those two categories are uh, are pretty much all you've got when it comes to uh, institutional lending. And then we've got hard money. Let me make sure we're good here. We're good. Okay. Then we've got hard money. Hard money is a touchy subject because it's my personal belief that hard money, even though a lot of folks who who get into this business, that's all the hard money is really, is really designed for new people getting into the business. I say that kind of tongue in cheek because I've used hard money sporadically throughout my entire career here, but um, hard money is probably the last uh, it's, it would be, it would be my last choice for funding just because it's so stupid. So, I mean, it's just, Stupid expensive. It's just so incredibly expensive. Um, and it's not that I wouldn't use it. You know, a lot of people will tell you that uh, don't worry about how much it costs you. But if you've got a ton of deals lined up um, and you have to borrow hard money to close those deals, it's just a, that's a real tough pill to swallow for me. I, you know, that, that expense, it's just, if it weren't so, 
so, I mean, just absolutely blown up on the, on the expense side, it might make more sense. But I guess my problem is, is I got so used to the owner finance side and, and private money that it is super hard for me to go back to hard money. Uh, I will tell you a couple things, a couple of good things about hard money. Hard money lenders are a great, great resource for for knowing whether or not you've got a good deal on your hands. So if you are a, if you're new, maybe you're new in this business and you know you have some questions about your deal, you just don't know if you've got a good deal on your hands. I recommend going out and networking with hard money lenders because they will tell you that once you run a number by a hard money lender or once you run your numbers by, they're going to be able to tell you pretty much right away, um, you know, whether or not you've got a good deal. And they're just an excellent resource for all kinds of, for not just evaluating your deal, uh, but they're also an excellent resource. Like they know where to get like the, 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 the best, uh, best prices on materials and things like that. If you have to, you have to go through a rehab. They're just a really great resource. I found them, you know, I have a, a several hard money lender friends and uh, I may not necessarily borrow from them. Uh, some of them I do, but a lot of them, a lot of them, I just can't, like I said, I can't stomach that expense, but I will, I will keep in touch with them. I will, uh, you know, go to lunch with them and just kind of get their, pick their brain on their ideas and, and really, you got to understand that they're in the trenches. Like they are lending, they're lending funds. A lot of those, a lot of their funds come may come from outside sources, but in many cases, the funds that they lend are their own personal funds. So they have a, uh, they have, you know, they have quite a bit of risk. So they're going to make sure that that deal that you have is a good deal. And uh, it's a it's a great resource to have. They're especially helpful if you've got, uh, say, you've got a a deal that you need to close and you know, your private lender is uh, getting cold feet or something like that. Hard money lenders are definitely a great way to, uh, to get your deals funded in those situations. Again, I, you certainly can't do anything uh, long-term with, with hard money. Um, but they might be really, really good. Might be super helpful to, to have that as a resource. If you, um, you know, if you have something you need to close quick. So, all right. That is conventional. If anybody's got anything on the conventional side, please let me know. Happy to answer that. And then lastly, we have lease options. I'm going to change this right now. We have lease options or lease purchases. So first, let's talk about what the difference is between a lease option and a lease purchase. Now, I want you to remember we are on the acquisition side. So this strategy would be, uh, everyone's heard of maybe a, a master lease option or a, a, um, or a lease option. I guess it would be a wrap. I'm not sure exactly what to call it right now, but, but this is you acquiring the property on a lease option. I'll just tell you right out of the gates. I do not like this at all. There's a lot of moving parts. It's, uh, it's complicated. Uh, there's, there's, even though there's, um, even though you're not actually buying the property, there are, 
there are so many things that can happen with this with this lease option strategy. Let's say you you pick up a property, you you lease option a property, and you know the idea is you lease option it with the ability to sublet that property. All right. Now you get your tenant in there, your tenant buyer, and that tenant buyer doesn't work out. But in the meantime, they've trashed the property. It's so, so common. It is, it is so common. It's unbelievable. You know, they, there's wear and tear. There's, there's fix up. If you're, if your lease option or you, I'm sorry, your tenant buyer cannot perform. Well, now you get to go back to your, to your seller who you have the, the master, the, the master lease option with, you get to go back and them. You know what? I can't, I can't buy this, but here you go. Here's your property back. Sorry. It's so trashed. I just don't, I just, uh, that's just one of the reasons it also, there's a lot of, um, there's just a lot going on with this. It's a lot to manage a lot, a lot of, there's a lot of mental, uh, a lot of mental, uh, uh, kind of just, it's just strenuous. It's just, it's difficult. So I don't recommend people do lease options uh, at all. Nevertheless, it is available to you. But let's quickly talk about what the difference between a lease option and a lease purchase is. Um, actually, let's see. I'm going to change this to lease option, not lease purchases. When you are buying something, this is a strategy you think you're thinking about doing. Make sure that when you when you sign this up, all right, make sure you get an option. Make sure it's on an option. You're signing an option contract. You don't ever want to have to, to sign a purchase contract. And here's the reason why. An option is a unilateral, it's a unilateral, meaning one-way contract. So with a lease option, you have the you have the ability to get out of that deal, right? It's an option. It's called an option for a reason. You have an option to buy it. With a lease purchase, that what that is, is you have a purchase agreement. So now you have a bilateral agreement and you will have to perform on that uh, or the penalties could be could be pretty steep. So that's, that's the difference between lease option and purchase. Lease option, you have the option to buy the property with a lease purchase, you are locked in. You're locked into buying that property. So basically what's going to happen here, I'm going to put this in parentheses. What's going to happen is you're going to lease the property from the seller. You're going to sign a separate, a separate option contract to purchase at a later date. In your agreement, you're going to retain the, uh, the right and the ability to sublet that property out to another tenant buyer. You're going to find the new tenant buyer on terms that will allow you to cash flow that property. So you're basically arbitraging what you're arbitraging your lease agreement and your, your, your new tenant buyer's lease agreement. And you're taking that spread. That's all you're doing. All right. And you can take that spread on monthly cash flow that ca that can be um, on the purchase price as well. So you can, you, there is this ability, you know, obviously you can, you can make cash flow on it, but you can also build in that your purchase price, your your tenant buyer's purchase price, could be higher than yours, and so now you've got uh, now you've got a spread on that as well. 
The idea here, though, is to exercise your option to buy on or before your tenant buyer's options maturity date. So this will be uh, this will be just prior to your tenant buyer going out and getting qualified or, or however they're going to buy it. Um, you're going to exercise that option. And so and so your your tenant buyer is going to exercise their option. And so so you can you can do a double closing here. Um, there's other ways you can do it. You can bring these folks together and just get paid for bringing them together. Uh, there's all kinds of ways to do it. But you see, you understand the the, the logistics behind this. It's it get, can get pretty crazy. And that's why I just it just it's a huge it's a huge headache, if you ask me. So I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend doing it at all. Nevertheless, it is a it is available to you if you choose to go down this path. All right. So that's really it on the acquisition side. It's um, I just kind of recap this a little bit on owner finance. I mean, there's all kinds of different strategies with owner finance. We have we have subject to we have uh, free and clear properties. Uh, we can buy on contract for deed. All of these are forms of owner financing or seller financing, kind of one and the same. We always prefer seller financing, no matter what. I mean, it's just a, it's just a a, a uh, the terms are better. You, the and the name of the game here is terms. The terms are almost always better in some kind of uh, seller financing situation. And then we have conventional, which is going to be your private money lenders, your institutional lenders, uh, and your hard money. And again, I say this is conventional just because uh, there is, in many cases, you know, there's qualification and uh, you know, and underwriting and all this. Maybe not with hard money lenders, but it's still that the terms are, uh, generally speaking, pretty rigid. Uh, and then we have lease options. Again, I'm not going to recommend it, but if you want to do it, go for it. Um, but uh, I just don't. I think it's. Uh, I think it's very, very. Uh, the details and and the kind of the, the the gears that are turning there are. It's just it's just not worth it to me. I just don't. I don't care for it. On top of that, I don't really like being a landlord. And despite what anybody tells you. Lease options. If you're lease optioning a, a property, and then you turn around and subletting that to another uh, to another tenant buyer, you believe it or not are still a landlord. I don't care what anybody tells you, you're still a landlord. And if that's not your thing, then uh, I definitely wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't use this strategy. <clears throat> All right. So real quick, anybody have any questions on that? All right, we've got someone a property under contract sub two in Texas with an FHA loan. Title company is saying that it can't be bought sub two. Is there a way around that? Should I use a local attorney? That's a really really good question. So first of all, we buy tons of properties with FHA loans. You can definitely buy properties with FHA loans. Um, it's not illegal. It's not illegal to do. Now it's against their policy. I will tell you that it's not, you know, but it's not illegal to do. So, um, so I would probably tell you here to keep searching for title companies and see a local attorney. I don't know. I, I just have this thing about, uh, I have this thing about attorneys. I really like to keep them out of my life. Like, 
but you know there are there are definitely good attorneys out there. I just uh, I just don't particularly care for uh, involving an attorney unless I have to. But I don't think you need to involve an attorney here. I think um, I think you probably just got the wrong title company. Uh, I own I own property right now for sure with FHA loans on it. I own property with VA loans on it, and um, it's not that. Um, again, it's not that. It's just, it's just a policy. Uh, it's a, it's a policy restriction. All right. But uh, you know, if you're going to take a property subject to, then as long as you're making those payments, you're going to be just fine. That's where, that's where people run into trouble. If you, if you're not willing to make those payments, yeah, there are a list of attorneys that are investor friendly online. Now, do you, I, is tech, I think Texas is one of those states where you can use either or, right? Maybe you can answer that for me. I think you can use a, a, a closing attorney or a title company. I may, I may be wrong about that. I will tell you the deals that we've done in Texas have all been with a title company. So, uh, so I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't know uh, if you want to use an attorney there or if you can use an attorney there. But anyway, um, yeah, I would say, honestly, you just got the wrong title company. I'll give you kind of a little bit. Okay. I'll give you a little bit of. You're wholesaling the deal. You're wholesaling the subject to deal. Texas definitely is funny on creative deals. Yes. Um, all right. So if you're wholesaling a creative deal, here's what I would recommend. I would recommend you don't. All right. I would recommend that you get really, really familiar with Novation because when you wholesale a creative deal, and and maybe you're doing this, I don't know. Uh, maybe you're you're maybe you've already got the Novation thing. Um, uh, maybe you got it. In, uh, uh, maybe you've already got that in process. When you when you wholesale a creative deal, if you assign it. I think you have to understand that in that assignment, you are solely responsible for to that seller for that uh, for that deal. All right. So, you know, unless you're even if you're above board, even if everything's transparent with your seller, if your seller knows that you're going to be wholesaling that you're going to be packaging up their this creative deal, you're going to pack. Maybe it's a subject to deal that you didn't really didn't really say which what it was, but. Regardless, if it's a creative deal where there's any form of seller financing, if you're going to package that up and sell that off to someone, well, guess what? You are still on the hook, um, both legally and ethically. You are still on the hook to make those payments. You're the one that's promised to make those payments to your seller. So I would recommend if you really want to, if you really want to step out of it, if you really want to protect yourself here, you need to really look into novations. Because, uh, because with a novation, I, I kind of, uh, I have this little thing and this is how I remember this. This is how I, when I, when I learned about novations, this is how I remembered, um, what novation really means in novation. We have like the emphasis is on the, the N and the V novation, right? You could definitely use a seller disclosure statement that doesn't, that doesn't, um, that doesn't, remove your liability though. 
All right. It, I just want you to understand this. If if you package that, if you sell that deal off to someone else, what happens when your buyer hits a hits a roadblock somewhere down the road? Right. They they uh, they get in some financial trouble. What's going to happen? What is I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen because I've seen it a million times. That person, that individual, your buyer. What is going to be, what are the first things that that buyer is going to stop paying if they run into financial trouble? It's going to be that the items or the, uh, the, uh, the obligations that they have, but that their name is not attached to. So if you're selling a, a subject to deal to your buyer and all of a sudden they, they, they can no longer make those payments, chances are not saying this is the case, uh, every time, but chances are they're going to stop paying on things that their name, that they have not personally guaranteed. And so what that does, what that's going to end up doing is that that will, uh, that's going to put you and your business at risk because your seller, you've made the promise to your seller. Your seller is going to go, well, you, you know, you told me this would work out. You told me that this was, uh, you know, um, that you're, you're, whoever you're selling this to, uh, is going to be able to make these payments. And I'm telling you, it's super, super dangerous. And there is a much easier way to get around this. And that is through novation. Understand what a novation in its, in its most pure and basic form. Novation. Oh yeah. I was going to, I was going to tell you, this. this is how I remember this. So novation, you have an emphasis on the N and the V novation, right? The way that I remember is this, I remember, I, I think of it as null and void. And in fact, it may be, novation may be like Latin for those terms. I don't, I really don't know. But uh, what you're doing with a novation is you are, you are stepping, you, you are, you have this, you have this contract with your seller. And what you might say to your seller is, hey, Mr. or Mrs. Seller, um, I'm not sure that this deal is going to work for me, but I have talked with somebody who is really interested in this deal. And so what I would like to do is I would like to remove myself from this deal and put you in touch with this, uh, with this buyer. Right. And so what you do is you novate or you void that original contract. You change, you then change the terms. You write a new contract and you change those terms in that contract. Basically the, the new contract is kind of a mirror of the old one, except you're changing, uh, you're changing the terms. In this case, it would be who the buyer is. And you are completely removing yourself from that deal. You're, you're telling the seller, hey, I'm out. Like, I, I can't close on this. I don't want to close on this. Here's your buyer. Um, and so the way you get paid from that is by, by you get paid from your buyer, preferably up front. So I just want you to I want you to understand that you should probably go out and uh, and really really research that um, assignments. On top of that, um, well, I'm not going to get into that. I'm, a lot of a lot of states these days. I mean, we've got 14 states with with rules on the books about wholesaling. So um, I think there's I think it's coming. I think there's going to be more and more. Uh, more and more of these states are going to start interjecting into some of these real estate deals. And it's just because we've had a lot of bad actors out there. 
that are uh, that are not operating above board. And so, um, so really, Novation is a uh, is a really good way of just re- just removing all that risk that you have. And you get out of the deal, you sell it to your, you know, you sell that deal to your buyer, and you know, there's there's you just don't have the recourse that you would have as if you know if you were doing an assignment. All right. So check that out. We may do a, uh, so we're doing not only these lives on Sunday morning, we're doing Friday, uh, Friday morning lives as well. And that may be a topic of discussion for us there. All right. Yeah, you got it, man. All right. So let's jump back into our, uh, into our mind map here. Uh, we've covered the acquisition side. We're talking, uh, least risky to most risky. All right. Guess what we're going to do on the disposition side? What we're going to do is turn that model upside down, right? When we dis, when we dispo a property, we want to have as little legal consequences on the dispo side as we did on the acquisition side. And so what does that mean? All it means is that instead of us giving legal title, if we're going to be if we're going to be seller financing or selling this deal on seller financing, instead of us giving legal title to our buyer, we're going to give them equitable title only. And the reason that we do this, the reason that this is this is this is the model that we've adopted, and we I absolutely love it. The reason that we do this is because if I give equitable title, it is going to be next to impossible. For my buyer that I that that I have brought in and conveyed on contract for deed, it's going to be next to impossible for my buyer to um, to further encumber that property. Meaning, my buyer is not going to be able to let to uh, leverage that property or pull any kind of equity out of that property without first getting legal title. Okay, so that is the primary reason why we love contract for deed. If I had to go out and foreclose or take a property back that I have conveyed on contract for deed, I don't want, you know, if I take that property back, I don't want to have a bunch of liens attached to it. And contract for deed really prevents my buyer from being able to uh, put any, put any, like I say, encumber that property in any way, leverage that property, pull money out of it or pull equity out of it. It's, it's, uh, they're not going to be able to do it. It's just not going to happen. All right. So that's why we love to sell on contract for deed. Also with contract for deed, there's, it is a private contract. Um, so I'm not going to get into too much, dig too far down into it, but they are a little bit easier in the world of seller finance, they are a little bit easier to to take a property back, just a little bit. Uh, that has its own challenges as well. Something we can talk about on another another video, but but uh, we love conveying on contract for deed because it only conveys equitable title and not legal title. All right. And then second in line for us is a mortgage wrap. Um, this is going to convey. Let me make sure. Yeah, we are with a mortgage wrap. We are going to give both legal and equitable title, just like on the acquisition side. If we buy this way, 
we get legal and equitable title. Well, I'm selling this on seller financing, so I'm going to convey both legal and equitable title. All right. Uh, I don't, it's not that I wouldn't do this. And in fact, in, in Texas, this is uh, very, very common. Um, if our Texas person is still on here, it's very, very common in Texas for folks to do mortgage wraps because contract for deed and, and uh, of course, lease option as well. <clears throat> they're, they're, they're not illegal in Texas, but they are virtually impossible to implement. Okay, so, uh, so this is very common for folks in Texas. If you are seller financing a property to someone, chances are you're probably going to be doing a mortgage wrap. <clears throat> we have for Texas specific stuff, uh, we have a different way of doing that. That is uh, just as effective, but much, much cleaner than a mortgage wrap. A mortgage wrap, again, on the dispo side, if we're selling that, if we're selling a property with a mortgage wrap, there can be, even amongst the professionals in this business, there can be a lot of uh, uh, a lot of moving parts and a lot of, you're going to have to be working with the right people to do it. Totally doable. I mean, it's not that big of a deal, really. Um, but it's just not as preferred as contract for deed, just because of the fact that we're giving legal title. All right. So they can your buyer can technically go out and leverage that property. So that's not something that we really want. If we had to foreclose on that property, guess what? We're going to take back all of that, you know, that debt that they've put on that property. So we prefer not to do that. And then of course we have, uh, we have our lease options. Again, it's, uh, it's a simple, once you have it, a, a, a lease option contract, once you have an option contract on a property, um, and a lease in place, which are two separate documents that should never, uh, they should never reference one another or coincide in the terms in any way, because a, a court is likely going to look at that as an equity building type of activity. So this is another reason why I don't care for these so much. It's just the negatives stack up when it comes to, comes to lease options. They're just, they're just not as, they may be profitable, but they just, there's a lot of, a lot of gears turning, like I said, but all you're doing here really is you're just, you're going out and finding a tenant buyer and, you know, you're going to vet those folks the way that you would vet uh, any other buyer or, or, or a tenant really. Um, but you're re what, what's happening is you are relying on them to perform. And in fact, I would recommend, I'm going to change this. I would recommend that instead of doing a lease option here, I would recommend that you write a lease purchase. This is a this is going to be that bilateral contract between between yourself and your buyer. All right, and they are going to have to perform if you have a per, it's a it's a pre-signed or an upfront purchase agreement that you know, has the closing date set out, you know, 12 or 24 months, however, however long your, your lease is for. What that does is, like I said, it's a bilateral contract at that point. You know, each party is going to have to perform. So you have a lease option on the acquisition side. And then on the disposition side, you have a lease purchase agreement. That may, hope that makes sense. Everybody good here? 
question here for substitution of collateral or first right of refusal type terms. Does this need to go in the purchase agreement or only in the note? This is in the note. It doesn't exist if it's in the purchase agreement. It only exists if this is in the is in the um, actually it's referenced in the recorded mortgage as well. So so, yeah, I mean, it can be um, it sounds. Maybe a little it sounds maybe a little tricky, but it's not it's not bad. It's just uh, uh, and quite frankly, we don't use it that often. But man, is it a great tool? It is a really great tool. But to answer your question, it is in the mortgage. Okay, it's not in your purchase agreement. Your purchase agreement expires. Your your mortgage. Well, let me take this back. Your purchase agreement expires relatively quickly. Your uh, your your mortgage your mortgage doesn't. You know, you have a generally you might have a balloon on it, so it might be 10, 10, 15 years down the road. All right. So, all right, there we go. Answer your question. Hope you're good. All right. What else have we got here? Um, and then, of course, our dispo side uh, in in. Well, this isn't actually in order, but then we have our rentals, our flips and our wholesales. So, yeah, that's really it. Um, guys, if you didn't get that memo, there's a link in the uh, there's a link in the stream here. In fact, I'll go ahead and plug it again. You guys can have a copy of this. You guys can download a copy of this, or this is just a link directly to this uh, to this mind map. But that's it. That's really it. Um, again, the idea here is to get into a deal with as little risk as possible and get out of it with as little uh, risk as possible. And all we're doing, all we're doing is we're taking our our acquisition strategies. And we are, and for disposition, we are flipping them upside down. You know, obviously, we would love to have uh, the best position in both the acquisition side and the dispo side. All right, guys. Um, post any questions in the uh, in the chat there if you've got anything. I'm happy to answer them. I'll give you just a, a second here while I. Stop sharing and shut everything down. All right. All right, guys. If we have no questions, I'm going to go ahead and end it. One last chance here. All right, guys. Before I do, uh, I'd invite you to head on over to uh, to Sub2 Empire. Oh, that's a really great question. Last minute, last minute question here. How do you keep deals coming in? Man, that is, uh, <laughs> boy, that's a tough one. I don't, the question is, where are you at in your journey? You know, that's the real, uh, that's the real question. Because uh, at this point in, uh, in my career, I, Truth be told, I haven't had to really, really market for a deal in, in quite a while, meaning active, like, you know, sending out mail. Uh, but I, I've been a, I was a big Google ads guy for, for the longest time, did tons of deals off of Google ads that got really, really saturated and uh, super expensive. And I'm not against, I'm not opposed to.
spending money on on stuff like that. It's just uh, it got to a point where I was spending seven eight thousand dollars in in, uh, in in ads on Google, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I know I was really um, spending that much. And I was that was per deal. You know that was per deal, so I had to I had to scale that back. It just became, like I said, the the that whole strategy became super super saturated, and um, I wasn't able to. I just just got to a point where it just got too expensive. So, um, so I ran Google Ads. I did uh, uh, lots of direct mail, tons and tons of direct mail. Uh, I never got into cold calling uh, just because. I always looked at cold calling as kind of the flavor of the month and, I, and the writing was on the wall on that uh, several years ago about how that was going to turn out. Now, there's a ton of people that made a lot of money uh, cold calling. Don't get me wrong. It's I don't, you know, it's just something that we, it's just a strategy we never did. We stuck with what we knew, what we knew worked. More importantly, we stuck with, we stuck with what we knew we could do repeat over a, long, long period of time. And it turned out to be the, the better, um, turned out to be the better strategy for us. You're tired of wholesale. Is that correct? He says, it says tried, but I think you mean tired. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think wholesalers, I've said this many times, I think they have their place for sure. Um, I buy from a ton of wholesalers. And, um, I really, really, honestly, it's, it's really all about what your, what your end goal is for me. And, uh, I've had this discussion with several folks, but what is your, you know, you really got to step back and ask yourself, like, what is your real goal here? Why are we doing this? Why are we, you know, we, we're out here toiling around and, and like, what is the goal? When somebody tells me, in fact, I was sitting with, uh, there's a guy in my market, uh, really good dude. It's my wife's broker. He's a, he's a, he's a great guy, but he always has these, uh, he has these little like guys night out, get together things. And so we're just kind of sitting around. It's like seven or eight guys sitting there. We're just kind of sitting around and, um, uh, talking, enjoying ourselves. And we start talking real estate and I, and I asked a lot of these guys, like, what, what is your goal? What do you want to do? And every, I'm not kidding you. Every, Every single one of them answered with this really short-term type of goal. It was, uh, you know, I wanted to have this many deals done. I want to have, you know, this many whatever. Like, I want to spend, you know, I want to have this much revenue. But I'm like, I get that. I understand that. But what is more, maybe not your goal, but what is your vision? Like, what? why are we doing this? And so really what I'm getting at is that if you have a vision, if you have an idea about, there you go, I want to be free from the rat race, the money counts, but I enjoy time with my family. See, now that is a, I would, I would encourage you to maybe to go out and get even deeper, like get even more granular at that because literally every time, if I'm going to, mar if I'm going to be out marketing for something, I need to know that I'm not just doing it just as, as procedure, as just, you know, this is what everybody else is doing. And, um, and you know, it ha there has to be a purpose behind it. And so every, any, so the idea here is 
when I ask you what your what your vision is, it's it's to get you to uh, it's to get you to understand that if your if your vision is passive income, and it's to spend more time with your family, go on vacations, or you know you know maybe you have a uh, somewhere that you'd like to. For me, I, I have some place I'd like to live, some place I'd like to be, and so the idea is to. Uh, envision that and then build your marketing around that. So for me, if I want passive income, I know I need the passive income to be able to live out my vision. Then there's no reason for me to be marketing out here, marketing like a wholesaler. It does. It doesn't make any sense. Why would I, why would I go out and spend all that money and do that when I can just buy from wholesalers? I can, you know, I can make them rich and I can also achieve the goal that, that I am, um, that I've set. So there you go. Bill, Bill's right on. I want to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want. That's right. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's how I would, uh, that's the first question you need to ask when you're talking about marketing. You need to be real with yourself and, and really have a, a vision in mind. You know, if you need cash reserves, right? A lot of people that get into wholesaling, that's the reason they do it because they need cash reserves. They need, they need money now. And wholesaling is probably the best way to do that. You know, it's probably the fastest way to get that done. Not so surface level. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, that's where I, that's where I would challenge you to, to, uh, that's what I would challenge you to look into first is what do you want? Like, where do you, where do you want to take this? And, you know, if, you have maybe another business. This is a side hustle or something. You might not have the same same marketing strategies, but uh, wholesaling is a tough business, man. It is a really tough business. So, anyway, I hope uh, I hope that answered your question. Um, anything else? Anybody have any anything else? All right. Let me remind you real quick. Every Sunday morning. I'm going to go ahead and get rid of this, this chat here. Every Sunday morning, we have these at 9 a.m. sharp every single Sunday morning. Um, and then, obviously, if uh, you know if you guys are, are looking for some help with any of this stuff, go check us out over at Sub2 Empire. Uh, happy, to, uh, happy to see if we can help you. Also, again, uh, if, you're on, if you're on YouTube or even if you're in a bunch of these other, you know, like Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter, we're broadcasting to all those right now, but if you guys would uh, uh, go check out our YouTube channel, go ahead and subscribe and hit that notification bell. We would greatly, greatly appreciate it. All right, folks, that's going to be it for me. appreciate it. Take care. You all have a, uh, a great Sunday. We will see you next Friday when we're going to do another live. We don't know what the topic is just yet, but, but we will be doing another live next Friday. Hope to see you there. Take care, everyone.